Uh, we're in a series on hearing God, and uh, this is uh, session number six, our final one in this series. Um, how many have been here for each session? Well, we've had a few. How many have been here for five out of six? Four? Awesome. Now, if you missed it, uh, you can go, uh, there'll be a little uh, blurb at the end of the message on where you can go and and hear them, and if you're missing any of the uh, notes, let us know. We do have some extra copies uh, in the office, and we can get them for you so you could follow along and have the notes for all six sessions. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word inspired by the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our teacher. You're the one who reveals truth to us. And so we ask you to reveal to us again the thoughts and intents of your heart through your word this morning. And help us to not only hear your word, but to apply it as well. To be a doer of that word. Help us as we would share this morning. Lord, we recognize that we need you. Without you, we can do nothing. And so we thank you in advance. Let your name be glorified. Let your people be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So session six today, and we're talking about um, balance. Say balance. Balance in this whole area of listening for God's guidance. Because there's two ditches we can get into. And so we want to just share some balance uh, here this morning about how to listen for God's guidance. We, last week we talked about how to listen for God's guidance. And so today we just want to consider some cautions in listening for God's guidance. And a number of people, they will wonder about where the line is concerning what they should be asking God for guidance for. Like, where's the line? Where, what do you ask him for? For example... Um, we somehow know that it would be absurd to ask God if he wants us to eat meatballs or turkey for supper tonight. I mean, that'd be a little absurd, right? I mean, you're welcome to ask him, I guess, if you want to, but, you know, it's just a little bit maybe eccentric. Or if he wants you to buy a yellow T-shirt or a red one, Um, you know, or this pair of shoes or that pair of shoes, whatever. And many of us have figured out that it would be a good idea to ask the Lord what his plans and purposes for our lives are. That's a good idea. So the question in our minds this morning is, where's the line? What do we need to ask God for guidance about? And what do I not need to ask God's guidance about? So to answer this question, I want us to step back a little bit and, uh, and just kind of look at it from a uh, you know, 30,000 feet level and place the question with a broader context. First of all, in your notes, listening for guidance must never replace Bible study. Listening for guidance must never replace study and meditating on the Word of God. Some people hardly ever read their Bibles, but instead... Now this, I'm, please, when you understand this, now I know there's some, you know, exceptions that are coming to our mind. What if a person is, uh, can't read, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're not talking about the exceptions, but as a general rule, um, some people never read their Bible, but instead they just want to listen to God in prayer for guidance. So put the word aside and they're listening and listening and listening. Listen. God has already spoken to us about many things that are his will and how he would want to make our way profitable. And it's recorded for us in scripture. He's already spoken to us about many, many things. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman or young person may be competent Equipped for every good work. We don't have to ask God about these matters. He's already told us. 
If our lives conform to the general counsel of God for his people, as given to us in his written word, as a whole, then we're already well situated in God's general and moral will for our lives. If, in addition, we've received and obeyed specific guidance by a specific word of God, and we've talked about that in previous sessions on the rhema word and how God just really speaks to us personally about some uh, situation or circumstance in our life. If we've obeyed a specific guidance by a specific word of God to us concerning a particular matter, then we're perfectly in God's specific will for us as well. God's specific will is always found within the context and parameters of his general and moral will for us. And we always have the guidelines for God's general and moral will for our lives in the scripture. The general guidelines for living are found in scripture, but if we're not spending time in the word, we can find ourselves in a little bit of problem. And it's interesting how even Christian people, we will rationalize something we want to do, even though we know, well, maybe not really what God has in mind, but he wouldn't be upset if I did this for a while. And so sometimes we'll try to rationalize it, even though we know there's a scripture, there's a moral and general principles in the scripture, and we're like, well, you know. And so at times we try to make some rationale uh, why we didn't want to do it. But we can often receive specific guidance that pertains just to us as well. And that's that rhema word that God gives us we talked about. Now, God is not pleased with us when we bypass his word to seek direction and on issues clearly taught in his word. But it seems that God does make allowances for, for us to grow for sure. For instance, now, I'll just use an example here, Brady. Brady's been a Christian for 40 years. No, no, you know what? Raised in a Christian home and accepted Christ at a young age, and so... He'd been growing in his Christian faith and, and listening to God. And, and so he understands a fair bit about God's general rules for his life and things in his life. So he understands it. Now, if we go over here to Price. Now, Price is a fairly new believer, right, Price? I'm not going to embarrass you. Price is a new believer. But as a new believer, just as a newborn and a young, 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 young person, we give certain grace as people mature in life and as people mature in faith. So there may be some things that, that um, um, Price is working on in his life that maybe um, God extends a little more grace to Price because he's a new believer learning where maybe God would require a Brady a little more uh, attention. Right, Hudson? Yeah. You know some of those things that... God's talking to him about, right? No, no. (laughs) So God does, I I believe God does extend grace. Now, if he's talking to Price about a specific thing and and Price is listening and he's, "Uh, I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, I wouldn't do that. If God is specifically talking to us about something, but as we mature in our Christian life, um, God has those allowances for people as they grow in their faith. For instance, the scriptures teach us, we know that in the Bible, that if we see a neighbor in need, we're to turn the other way. No, if we see a neighbor in need, the Bible says, we're to help them. So we don't have to ask God for guidance. We simply see a neighbor in need, so the Bible says, to help the person you see in need. Having said that, what does it mean to help your neighbor? Now, sometimes it's straightforward. A neighbor lost a loved one, and they need support, they need comfort, maybe they need a meal or two, maybe they just need someone to cut their grass, whatever, Uh, just someone to step in there and and, uh, be that encouragement and comfort to them. So that's straightforward. Just do something. But sometimes it isn't as straightforward as that. Suppose the neighbor has a huge financial issue, and you suspect it's because they're spending way beyond their means on Electronic gaming, TV, stereos, toys, and you can see them piling up in their yard, whatever. And you see they have a huge financial need. Now, the neighborly thing to do would not be to give them more money. Agreed? 
That wouldn't be the neighborly thing to do. Instead, perhaps, in a very tactful way, you might suggest, you know, why don't you come along with me to a a financial budgeting seminar that I'm going to be going to or, or something like that. There may be times where you'll need God's wisdom on how to help your neighbor. But the general counsel of God is, help your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Anybody you see in need, right? And sometimes God shows us the need that we have our, that a neighbor had because we're the one to fulfill and help that need or find a solution for them in some um, creative way. Secondly, you wonder if you should divorce your spouse because you're just not getting along. One day you woke up and you had this uh, tremendous fight. Everything had been going smooth till then, and, and uh, so you're just not getting along that day, and maybe we should just separate. But the scripture already has plenty to say about that. And you need to ask God about that. There are specific purposes and reasons um, regarding the whole area of divorce. We won't go into that right now. But there's a general guideline that says, no, 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 you need to work on this. You need to see what, how you can come to a solution. The Bible tells us to get counsel, get help. Another example is you may be wondering whether you should take a job that doesn't fulfill you. Now, we know in our society today that we're big on personal fulfillment. But what if there's a job and it doesn't necessarily fulfill you, doesn't necessarily even match your training or your skills? I don't think we have to ask God because God has already spoken in the scriptures. And here's what he said in 2 Thessalonians. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Just because it doesn't bring fulfillment, etc., that is not the issue. It is more important that I provide for my family than that I feel fulfilled. It's more important, according to God's general moral rules. Take the job and continue praying and looking for a job that matches your profile. But there, what God provides, take it and see where God leads you from there. God's spirit will never contradict his written word. Never. He won't contradict it. If you hear a voice that contradicts God's word, friend, you're not hearing God's voice. You're hearing your own hearts, maybe your own desires, your own lusts, whatever, or you're listening to the enemy. So listening for guidance must never uh, be without study of the Word of God. Secondly, listening for guidance must not replace good counsel. Other people are happy to hear God directly for guidance because they think this absolves them of a need to receive counsel from others. Friend, not so. God designed it so that we'd have to get some of his guidance through others. There's your fill in the blank. We're to get some of his guidance through others. We all have different gifts. We all have different strengths, different experiences, so we can all contribute to one another. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Proverbs 12 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Friends, we can even learn from fools. We can learn that that's a mistake I don't want to make. Right? If they're doing something that's just not working, guess what? I can learn. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Okay? I don't have to go and do what somebody else is doing and, and they're wrecking and ruining their life or their family or whatever. Friends, In order to receive counsel from others, we need to be teachable. Some people are not teachable, fill in the blank. Their hearts are not positioned in a posture of humility. See, another word for teachable really is humility. Humility. Life is much too short for us to try to learn it all by ourselves. We won't have enough time to make all the mistakes and figure it all out on our own. 
and still accomplish what God set out for you to do. I sometimes kid people and say, I can write a book on things that haven't worked. I've been to more, um, well, let's not, let's not speak evangelistically. I've been to sufficient church growth seminars and um, all these kinds of things that, uh, and great, great teaching, great principles, and, and you, you see somebody doing something here or something there, and you try to do it for yourself, and it just doesn't work, and it falls flat, or you, you get a good idea, and it doesn't work. But sometimes when somebody, you know, wants to suggest something to you, oh, no, no, I, I'm hearing God. And so we understand that humility has to be a part of good counsel. Thirdly, listening for guidance, and this is such a key one, must not replace common sense. Listening for guidance must not replace common sense. Now, what is common sense? Cambridge Dictionary says, it's the basic level of practical knowledge and judgment that we all need to help us live in a reasonable and safe way. The basic level of practical knowledge and judgment that we all need to help us live in a reasonable and safe way. Now, how many here, there's confession time, how many of you ever said about somebody, that person has no common sense? You ever said that? Has anybody ever said about you? <laughs> common sense. How important common sense is. And, you know, it's, maybe it's even a spiritual gift. And I'm not listed necessarily in, in the gifts of, in, in Scripture, but um, common sense equates to the knowledge and experience which most people already have or which the person using the term believes that they do or should have. It's something common to everybody. It's common sense. It is a sense that is discovered by most humans through experience, hence it's called common. And it reveals to them how life works. And these two are God's laws. God's natural laws, like the law of gravity. Now that's, for all of us, that's common sense. We know that if we step off the balcony over the edge, we're going to hit the floor. That's just common knowledge, the law of gravity. There's some things that are common to everybody. Now we all know as, as uh, at some point in our life, Here's another confession. How many have ever broke the speed limit? Anybody break it on the way to church? Now we know, common sense says, we may get away with it once, but we will get caught, right? Common sense tells us when you break the speed limit, we're going to get caught, and guess what? It'll be, I don't know what the fine is. It's been a long time since I was caught. Long time since I had the the Christmas tree lights flashing behind me, or um, I mean, if you're ever going down Stony Trail and you're going past uh, um, Tuscany and Silver Spring, or Scenic Acres at the bottom there, before you go across the bridge, always remember there's a pickup parked down there, and he's taking your picture. And uh, <clears throat> so, some of, we know where these guys are, right? Stony Trail going east up here. I mean, they're they're just you know. And uh, they're deterrents. But common sense tells us, obey the speed limit. It's just common sense. But humans would lack any common sense or intuition of, for example, the behavior... Now listen, how many here know about the behavior of the universe at subatomic levels? How many know anything about that? Anybody? Now there's a smart dude over there, but it's not common. Okay, it's not common, no, not common sense to know that thing. And uh, so, for the rest of us who don't know anything about that, it's just not common. Now, if we were to do some very basic arithmetic, that's common, because we've all been there, whatever. And we know that, you know, in the morning when you get up, we just know it's common sense to brush your teeth. Plus, it's courtesy. You know, there's just some things that are just common sense. Sometimes people who begin to hear God begin to feel that perhaps they can suspend common sense. 
And the way this would this world commonly seems to work, but not so. Common sense is spoken of in Scripture, and see what Scripture has to say about it. Note the similarity between Scripture and the Cambridge Dictionary definition, Proverbs 3.21. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. Preserve sound judgment. I probably shared this with you before, but it fits right here. When I was a early teen, and uh, how many here ever thought you knew more than your parents? It's amazing how the older you get, the more your parents really know. But when, when my brother and I were just fairly early teens, I don't know if I was 13, maybe I was. And we thought we knew better than our father, so we were going to strike out and have life on our own. And um, so we, uh, we got a rowboat, we patched it up with tar and plywood screwed to the bottom, and, and we were going to embark and go down the Columbia River. We lived in Castlegar at the time in the Kootenays, B.C. And just as we're, my brother's in and I'm just ready to push off, my mother, up on the riverbank, because we live close to the riverbank, starts to yell. Now, your mother's yelling and crying. You can't push off then. I mean, but we knew. Common sense told us. When our dad got home from work, there was going to be a reckoning. And there was. Now we were not we were not flowing and exuding with common sense when we decided to embark down the river. A few miles or whatever down the river was the Winita Dam. Um, we had no life jackets, we had very little food, we had twenty dollars we stole from my dad's wallet. Um no common sense at all. Thought we knew. We thought we had an internal rhema word. We knew better than our, our parents. And sometimes kids think they know better. And so they're going to do something. And, and uh, sometimes adults think we know better. We can, we can do and put common sense aside and think that's going to be okay. But God does not want us to suspend common sense. In fact, we're exhorted to learn as much about the practical way this world was designed to work and then live in harmony with those ways. And in that way, we'll discover safety and protection from failure. So you wouldn't simply, you know, quit your job one day, pack up your family with kids and drive into a city with no place to live, no money, no job, and then expect God to provide. Just, I don't know how many times... Um, we've had people come to the church and say they, they needed money. They were embarking on this journey. They had no money for gas. They barely could uh, you know, have anything to eat, but they needed some money because they were going. And many times it's funny how it's Alaska. They're going to Alaska to get a job. And uh, I'm thinking... No money. The car looks like it's not even going to make it out of town. And I'm thinking, is this really the kind thing to do? Or is it to suggest, you know, perhaps common sense would say, stay here, find a job, earn some money, and then carry on on your journey. But common sense at times is just kind of out the window. Because uh, people think, you know, they've got it all figured out. And uh, not thinking about safety or anything like that, just... They're going. The one time, I remember when um, it was a huge step of faith for us in one of the churches we pastored, and, um, and I, I, was, I, I admit I was frustrated, not frustrated with the church or with people, I was just frustrated because, um, I don't know, I just felt there was, there was more to ministry, there was more to pastoring, there was just more, uh, and I just needed a, a bigger challenge. And I, I talked to one of my colleagues in ministry, and he said, well, you shouldn't resign until you know where you're going. And that's good advice. You know, for pastors, they, 
you know, why put their family through any kind of hardship, whatever. They, they need to understand, okay, where's God calling them to, whatever, da 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 And I, I took that in. I thought, man, I just, no, I just, I know that's common sense, and I, I understand that. And so I, I waited a little longer, and Mary and I, we talked about it, and, and uh, finally came to the conclusion, no, it was, God wanted us to take the step of faith. And, uh, and it was. It was a step of faith. In fact, in fact it was the church prior to us coming to Calgary. And so we were without uh, income for our, our house had sold, had no place to live, but uh, a kind saint in, in the church there gave us her basement suite to live in. And, and da, 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 da. so it was a few months. I think we resigned in September or something, and it wasn't until uh, the February that we came to Calgary. But that time, it was just this gnawing, nagging thing. No, but trust me, trust me, trust me. Now, I'm not recommending you do, you do that. You need to know from God. And you need to trust God because we can't just push common sense out the window. And I think we'd agree that uh, we need to live according to common sense. And the experience of most people would be that this would lead not to safety, if you don't... Go with common sense, but it's going to lead to stumbling and falling and failure. At times, God chooses to suspend his natural ways in favor of non-natural ways. And when God does that, here's the fill in the blank, it's called a miracle. When God does that, it's called a miracle. It's a miracle precisely because it's not common. It's not common. If God did it all the time, then it would be common. And the commonness of it would make it a law and not a miracle. And so if it becomes common, then it's just a law and it's not a miracle. So why does God sometimes choose to suspend the natural way in which he works and do it in a non-natural way? Quickly, three reasons. Probably more, but... First, God signifies to his people that his favor and anointing are on the one called and on their calling or task, but all for the sake of his people. God will do a miracle to signify to his people that his favor and anointing are on their life. And this is perhaps the primary reason for God performing miracles on their behalf. We see it in the lives of Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Paul. David, for example, witnessed many miracles in his life and came to recognize why in 2 Samuel 5.12. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Paul also experienced many miracles in his life and says these were signs for the people. 2 Corinthians 12.12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. This is why so many of the miracles in the Bible happened in the lives of leaders. Those miracles were not so much for the leaders as they were for the people that were being led. That the people would know God was leading. Secondly, God signifies to those he calls for a special task that his hand and favor and anointing are on their calling. And that he's with them, granting them confidence in their calling. And thirdly, God provides circumstances that have the potential of increasing the faith of those called, thereby preparing them for more difficult assignments ahead. We've seen that over and over in our lives as well, where God does a miracle and he's preparing us for something even bigger ahead. And here's a very important point. God, not we, initiates these miracles. God not we, initiates these miracles. Some people try to force God's hand in providing a miracle. They call it stepping out by faith, when it's really called testing God. You step out in faith when God gives you the faith to step out in faith. You step out in faith when God gives you that rhema word. God said something to you, and that's what allows you to do it. But just to say, well, this sounds like a great idea. I think I'm going to step out and do it. That, my friend, is called presumption. It's called presumption. In Matthew 4, verse 5, the devil comes to Jesus and told him, 
that he could prove to all that he was the son of God by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. And in so doing, the father would send his angels to catch him. So the devil tempts Jesus to force God to perform a miracle for him. Jesus didn't call that stepping out by faith. He called it testing the Lord your God. Matthew 4, 7, Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And we can't try to force God's hand like that. Why? Because, friends, God is not our servant. We are his servants. He's not our vending machine. When God spoke to us here as a congregation, fledgling congregation as it was, when God spoke to us, about buying this property and building a church. We only had $10,000 in the bank. Now, common sense would tell you, step out and buy this property with just a handful of people, a brand new church, as far as established group of people, 10000 in the bank. I forget how much they wanted for the property, three hundred and. 75000 back then or whatever it was. Cheap, cheap, according to today's standards. But you only got $10,000 in the bank, and you don't know how you're going to make the mortgage payments, etc. The congregation, we, we prayed about it and, and uh, felt that that was what we, what we needed to do. And I'll tell you, that was a rhema word from God. And uh, if without that rhema word, we would have been testing the Lord, demanding that he do something on our behalf. God, we got ourselves into this pickle, now get us out. No, God spoke to us, and we just felt it, felt it as a congregation, sensed that as a congregation, and, and did it. And uh, the congregation never missed a payment. To this day, I think we bought the land in 1991. To this day, we have never Missed a payment. And, um, oh, it's been close. But never missed. Always somehow, there was some way, some whatever. And um, even though you see in our bulletin where we're uh, quite a bit behind in our line of credit, you know, it's not a comfortable place to live, let me tell you. Um, But God has always, always, always and um, our first step, we were going to build a church. I think I mentioned we were going to build a church to seat 350 people or whatever. And, and you see what, what God has done here. It's, it's been amazing. Didn't make, it wasn't common sense. It didn't make common sense. But it was that word from God. And God provided and continues to provide a miracle. When we test the Lord... Um, and it's not a step of faith, it's not a raiment word, but when we test the Lord, God does not dignify our foolishness by performing a trick. That's not faith, it's presumption. And that kind of presumption disrespects God, and I believe makes God nauseous because it misrepresents, misrepresents who he is, implying to everyone that God is our servant rather than our Lord. And it's serious Friends, it's serious because then we take the name of the Lord in vain, violating the third commandment. Saying this is in his name when it's totally presumption on our part. We haven't heard a raiment where we haven't heard God say to do it. And of course, nothing we've said thus far ever prevents a child of God from asking the Father for legitimate help. Even if such help would require a miracle, God has no problem with us asking for his help. In fact, James indicts us for not asking enough. He says, you have not because you ask not. But even in asking, sometimes his answer is no. Have you ever been asking God for something and he clearly told you no? Anybody? Makes you really warm and fuzzy, right? You come back, God, are you sure you said no? Sometimes, Paul found it that way when he asked three times to have that thorn in his flesh removed. What we are saying is that we cannot initiate or force God's hand to perform a miracle. Neither do we ultimately decide for God that he will do such. God still knows best. Remember how your parents used to say to you? Your parents know best. And you think, right. God still knows best what's best for us. 
Listening for guidance must not replace our humanity. And herein lies a grave danger. The opposite extreme of never listening to God for his direction is to lay aside our humanity and simply ask God to give us direction for everything. And such a person really becomes something more akin to a robot. There's just... And that's not how God made us. Consider now, in Genesis, we were made to rule. Correct? God said to Adam, rule over the earth. We were made to be responsible. Everybody say, I'm responsible. If anything happens, I'm responsible. No, no. I'm, I'm, we're responsible, right? We are responsible. God told mankind that they were to rule over the fish and the birds and the animals. So, Carlos, next time you go fishing, take authority over this fish and tell them to bite your hook. Is that what it means? I mean, let's not, you know, we don't be silly about it. But God told us that we are to be responsible. And he told us to have offspring and fill the earth. Thank you, Pastor Roger and Megan. You are fulfilling God's plan. Have offspring. They're having their second of six. I mean, it's amazing how this all works out. God also told them to subdue the earth. He told them to manage the trees and the vegetation and the gardens. And there's lots of managing and ruling to to be done with all that. God gave man a great deal of responsibility. And Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 supports this, where the master expected them to do something with what he gave them until he returned. And when he finally did return, he asked them for an accounting. God made us to be responsible. To rule. Secondly... We were given freedom to choose. Every one of us has freedom to choose. With that ruling, they had many, many choices to make. And God gave them a great deal of freedom to make those choices. Adam and Eve had complete freedom to eat or not to eat of the tree of life. And they used their freedom. Not only that, God gave them complete freedom to eat of every other tree in the garden. They could make real choices with real consequences for good or for bad. Every one of us, we have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom to choose to accept Christ, ask Him to forgive us of our sin and be our Lord and Savior, or we have the freedom not to choose. So, in essence, you have the freedom to choose to either live with Him forever or choose to live without Him forever. God doesn't make that choice for us. And so people who say, how could God ever send someone to hell? It is, we all have a free choice. And God has given us a choice. Thirdly, believe it or not, for some of those in your sphere of influence, we were all made to be intelligent. We're all intelligent. Say, I'm intelligent. God made you intelligent. If you're going to rule, you're going to have to have some intelligence. God brings all the animals to Adam and he says, Adam, here, you name them. Wow. Now, I kind of disagree with some of the names he gave. I mean, I mean, I don't know how he came up with some of those, but he, he was able to, and Adam named them. Now, God didn't tell Adam what those names should be. In fact, God didn't want to tell Adam. He wanted Adam to do it. We were all made intelligent. When you get married and then you have children, you name your kids, right? Now, you may ask God for help and send something, whatever, but you name your kids. You choose what university you're going to go to. You, choose, you make all kinds of choices in life. As we noticed earlier, some of you chose to obey the speed limit this morning and some of you chose not. We all have choices. You chose what to wear this morning. You chose, you know, how to fix your hair. You chose, you know, what parts to cover up and whatever. We all make choices. We're intelligent. Fourthly, God made us creative. It is incredible to see the creative ability that people have. I mean, when you think of it, the architect who designed this building, the one who designed your house, I mean... Um, Ken, he's a designer of houses. I forget his real title, but he does all the drawing and what it's going to look like and how to build it. And 
And so he's creative. And, and Hudson, he's creative. He paints and he, he's, he's taking this course now. What do you call that course? Concept artist. Someday you're going to hear about this guy being famous in the next Star Wars series, etc. Um, and so God, and God gives you creative ability. Some of you can create the amazing, we're going to see next Sunday, some of the amazing meals that you can create. Some of you create certain fashion. God made us all creative. God told Noah to build an ark. Now, he needed help with that. No one had ever built one before or come up with the calculations of space to hold two animals of any kind. God gave him the plans. But wait a minute. How about the tools needed for making that ark? In Genesis 4.17, it says, Cain, the one who killed Abel, was building a city. With what? Chapter 4.22, it says that his offspring, Zilhah, was able to forge all kinds of tool out of bronze and iron. In Genesis 4.21, it says, um, Zillah's brother, Jubal, was the father of all who played strings and pipes. In 4.20, their brother, Jabal, was an expert in animal husbandry. They were creative, as God had made them. No evidence suggests that God told them how to do every last step. God gave creative ability. I mean, you think of Solomon's temple and, and all the... You look at some of the structures. I haven't been to Europe, but you see pictures of some of these cathedrals and the creativity of man. It is incredible. Mankind is still creative. We are also made to relate to God in various ways. Paul calls us God's co-workers, ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation. Jesus, as well as New Testament writers, also called, also used more familial terms. Paul and John called us children of God. And Jesus, Paul, and the writer of Hebrews all refer to us as sons of God. Jesus also said we would be friends of God. All these titles describe a relationship that require much freedom, choice, and creativity. And of course, you can't have love where those three aren't present in abundance. Freedom, choice, and creativity. We can see how interactive such relationships with God are intended to be by examining the prayers of Bible characters. Friends, relationships in the Bible are fluid. They're give and take. Sometimes they convinced God through prayer to reverse his already stated will. Hezekiah, for instance. God told Hezekiah to set his house in order because he was going to die. Now, as most of us probably would, Hezekiah returned urgent prayer, and God responds by giving him an additional 15 years of life. Wow. Moses, God is angry because the Israelites had resorted to worshiping the golden calf. So he said to Moses, that's it. I'm going to destroy them all and make a new nation out of you. Instead, Moses goes to urgent prayer and pleads with God not to do it, saying that if he does that, the nations around are going to think that God couldn't deliver the people. And God responded by relenting of the disaster he was planning for the Israelites. And we know the story. Sometimes God overruled their desires and prayers. Paul, as I mentioned, three times he pleaded with the Lord to remove the thorn from, from his flesh. But the Lord responds and saying, no, this is my will for you. It's good for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Moses. Moses asked to see God, and God said, no. On another occasion, Moses asked God to reconsider letting him go into the promised land. Moses had changed God's mind before, but this time God said, no. Remember the demon-possessed man in Gadarene? And uh, he, he, God came along, and, and he was left sitting in his right mind after Jesus healed him. The man begged to follow Jesus. And Jesus wouldn't let him. Instead, Jesus told him to go home, tell everybody the great things that God had done for you. There's other examples. But here is what is noteworthy. They asked, they prayed, and all of them asked for reasonable and legitimate things. And in each of those cases, God had other plans in mind for them. Sometimes we forget that. We're asking for things and and sometimes God has better plans for our life. But also, sometimes God revealed his will, but they still had to pray it into being. 
Hezekiah. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sends his army against Judah, which was no match for him. Hezekiah sent messengers to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah sends back word to Hezekiah that the Lord has said he need not fear. Sennacherib and his mighty army, because the Lord was going to cause him to withdraw. Sure enough, the king of Cush marched out to fight Sennacherib, so he withdrew. But not before sending a letter to King Hezekiah, in essence saying, We'll go back, and your God will not be able, or we'll be back, and your God will not be able to deliver you. Hezekiah takes the written threat and spreads it out before the Lord in prayer, and he prays for deliverance from Sennacherib. What happened? Isaiah sends word to Hezekiah saying, The Lord says, I've heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David my servant. Wow! Talk about interactive and relational. There's a conversation going. This is what we're talking about in hearing God, that we can have a conversation with God. And I trust that that's what you're doing and as you're, as you're praying and journaling your conversation and your prayers and the response from God, hopefully every day. And understand that God wants to talk with you. Other times, God does not state his will on a matter. And so it was determined, the outcome was determined through prayer. Asa, example in Second Chronicles. Asa in his 36th year, um, Basha, king of Israel, comes up against Judah. Now, instead of turning to the Lord in prayer, as he had done many years earlier when the vast army from Cush marched out against Judah, he instead, this time, he hired Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, an enemy, to attack Basha. The result was that God told Asa, through the prophet, that because Asa had relied on Ben-Hadad instead of the Lord, he would not be able to defeat the Aramites. God was clear. If Asa had called out to God for help, God would have delivered Asa from both Basha and Ben-Hadad. Prayer would have changed the course of events. Secondly, again Asa, through prayer and fidelity to the Lord had been a prayer and fidelity to the Lord had been a big factor in Asa's earlier years. His later years were marked with prayerlessness and lack of dependency on the Lord. Here's a caution, friends, and I think it's a caution for myself and people involved in ministry, as well as people who've been believers for a long time. I think sometimes the tendency can be, because of our Christian experience, etc., we can rely on experience instead of relying on an up-to-date conversation, relationship with the Lord. And so we go by experience. It's a confession I'm sure that I as a pastor and many pastors have to fight as well. That we don't rely on past experience or this is what we know or this is what happened before and so this is what... We need to have an up-to-date, constant, ongoing relationship with the Lord and a conversation with Him on what His constant will is for our life. In His 39th year, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And it says in the in scriptures, though his disease in his feet was severe, and this is so sad, even in illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. He didn't call out to the Lord. And scripture is clear that Asa could have asked the Lord, but he refused. Not that we shouldn't rely on the medical field. It's a great field. But don't forget to seek God. God clearly desires a real relationship with us in which what we do actually matters. He has no desire to sit on his throne, babysitting everybody and dictating everyone's every action. But in general, it is God's will that we ourselves should have a great part Fill in that blank. A great part in determining our path through life. Friends, children cannot develop into responsible, competent human beings if they're always told what to do. You just can't. Children's characters can't be known 
not even to themselves, until they're turned loose to do what they want. And then it showed what we want, what we think, what we decide to do when the voice of God does not come, shows who we are, either God's mature children, friends or co-workers or something else. Some may insist that God tell them what to do because they live in fear or they're obsessed about being right as a strategy for being safe. Safe from accountability. I'll just ask God and I don't have any responsibility in this and whatever happens is his fault. In their heart of hearts, they may cringe or suspect that God is actually mean and tyrannical and therefore we're afraid to make a move without dictation from him. It's a sad, unbiblical view of God. We cannot be groveling robots or servile lackeys. Such creatures could never bear the family resemblance of God. We cannot be robots and children of God at the same time. If our lives conform to the general counsels of God for his people, as given to us in his written word as a whole, then we're already well situated in God's general and moral will for our lives. But to remain in, this, in his general and moral will for our lives, we must spend more time or must spend much time in his word. Psalm 1 tells us about that. In a, if in addition we've received and obeyed some specific guidance by a specific word of God to us concerning a particular matter, then we're perfectly in God's specific will for us as well. His will for us is always found within the context and parameters of his general and moral will for us. We always have the guidelines for God's general and moral will for our lives in Scripture. And we often receive specific guidance that pertains just to us as well, but not always. Sometimes God develops and or tests our character by leaving us to decide. You ever ask your parents, well, what do you think, Mom and Dad? Should I do this or do that? And, and they come back and they say, well, you need to decide. Well, that's not what I wanted, Mom Dad. I wanted you to tell me. No, there comes a time when you decide. And then you decide, is it, is it in agreement with God's moral and absolute laws or not in agreement? God has given you responsibility. He's given you common sense. He's given you the ability to choose. Always, 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 though, please understand, God is wanting us to spend time in prayer. God places the responsibility square back on our shoulders, right back onto us on what we're going to do with our life. So you could be the person who is always living in in this ditch and will not move without having... Some idea from the Lord, even though we've got some general direction on what to do in life. So they're not going to move. Or you've got the person over here who is never inquiring of the Lord. And not, not operating in common sense or godly counsel or, or studying the word or, or at all. And so which ditch are we spending our time in when God says, No, I don't want you in those ditches. I've given you already tremendous guidance and tremendous things in my word. I want you, that I want you to follow, and there's times where I want to give you specific word, just ask me. When it's not recorded there what to do, now when we know we're to help our neighbor, but maybe we're to ask God, okay, God, how specifically do you want me to help the neighbor? And he'll lay out a thing for you, how specifically, where, where perhaps your neighbor's going to understand, how did they know that that's what I need, where I needed help? And God's shown you because you are, your heart was already there to help your neighbor. And now God showed you specifically how to help your neighbor. And so it's important for us that we understand that God wants to speak to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And my prayer too is, and our prayer too as staff is that, that we all would learn the excitement there is in spending time and hearing God. And having God say to us, good job. Has God ever told you, good job? God ever told you that he likes you? Has God, have you ever listened to God where God told you, I'm so happy the way I made you. I'm so glad that you're doing that. I'm so excited that you want to serve me with your whole heart. I'm so glad you came to talk to me this morning. 
You ever sense the smile and the approval of God? I'm sure this last number of weeks that you've been endeavoring to hear God and, and write down. Remember how we told you just open your journal and, and write a question to God and keep your pen on there and, and just sense his answer and start writing. Another question, start writing. It's amazing the kind of conversation you can have with God and never maybe even thought it was possible to have it that way. God loves you. Can I tell you again? God loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. Have you ever thought and wondered how in the Old Testament too, in the scripture where God spoke to them and God spoke to that person, God spoke to that person, God spoke to that person. When is the last time God spoke to you? When's the last time you listened and heard God in your inner spirit? When was the last time you asked God a question and just wrote as he gave you the answer? Father, I thank you for this body of people. I thank you for the desire to be here week after week after week to understand to a greater measure how much you want to have an ongoing, up-to-date relationship with your children. You want us to hear your voice. You want us to speak with you. You want us to ask specific questions about the direction we're sensing in our life. You're wanting us to be humble and teachable and and seek the advice and help of others as well because we can't do this thing called life by ourselves. We need one another. Over and over in Scripture, the church is, is described as a body where every joint supplies and we're all giving input and help and encouragement and wanting to see God glorified in one another's life. Lord, people are here this morning at different stages of life and their relationship with you and I pray, Holy Spirit, that every one of us would lean a greater excitement. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the desire to want to have a relational experience with you as their Heavenly Father. Your Holy Spirit as their constant companion. And Jesus as their Lord and Savior and the one whom the Holy Spirit reveals in greater measure each and every day. As our heads are bowed here this morning and Maybe you're just thanking the Lord for things he's shown you in this last while and how he's helping you to be disciplined and spending some time with him and meditating on his word, understanding his will for your life and how much he cares about you. Why don't you take a moment and just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and your relationship with the Lord is exactly a little bit distant. Maybe it's not one that is as intimate as you would like it to be or as you sense it could be. Maybe there's been some hesitancy on your part to completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And this morning, maybe you'd like to say, Pastor, I really want to have that kind of a relationship with God where he speaks to me and I can talk with him and he'll answer. And and there'll be this relationship happening between me and the one who loves me so much and I really want that kind of a relationship. And I know I need to take responsibility. I know I need to say, okay, I'm going to take some time with God. And Maybe you just want to say, would you pray for me, Pastor, this morning? I need Jesus to help me. I need his Holy Spirit to help me. There's many things that distract me, and I really want to be disciplined. And so I want to ask the Lord to help me this morning to have that relationship with my Heavenly Father.
where I can talk to him and I don't have to be afraid. Know that he loves me and cares about me. And you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to have that intimate relationship with the Lord. And you just stick your hand up and down real quick and say, yes, thank you. Thank you, yes, yes, thank you, yes. Numerous hands, thank you. Thank you, you may put them down, awesome. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, I thank you for each person who has indicated, you know exactly what they're asking for from their own heart and life. Even as you put your hand up, why don't you just now in your own heart and your own spirit and mind, why don't you just ask the Lord exactly what it is that you want from him? And where you want help, where you need some strength, some encouragement. Ask him. I think one of the most exciting things our Heavenly Father can hear is a question from his children on how to become closer and closer with their Heavenly Father. Lord, you hear the hearts. You hear the prayers of your children. And I thank you this morning. It's a sound your ears are tuned to. Your ear is inclined to the cry and the call of your children. I thank you, Lord, that your ear is not heavy. But it's one that's open. I ask that you would impress upon the hearts and minds of these folks this morning. If they'll take the time, they'll pause, they'll wait, they'll meditate on your word. If they'll ask, you'll answer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being just that, our Heavenly Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, normally, at the end of one of our sessions, we'll, there's some um, things for you to do, and, and I, I know you can do those at home and in your quiet time, but I'm just wondering if anybody is brave enough or willing enough, whatever. You don't have to. But in the course of these weeks, if um, there's something that you're able to share, I don't want you to share some personal things that God has said to you, whatever, but maybe there's something or some affirmation that God has given you or uh, a thought or a scripture verse that has just really encouraged you, that, that God spoke to you, and you could say, say that in a, in a few sentences that you'd just like to share with the rest of us of what God has said and God has impressed on you. So, Anybody? I'll have a microphone here. We can all uh, hear if, if you'd like. If nobody, that's fine. I'm going to wait uh, 15 seconds. It'll be the longest 15 seconds of your life. But Now, you, I've said that before, the first person is always the most difficult to get up. So we'll dispense with that, and let's go to the second person. How many, okay, how many of you have sensed and heard God say something to you in the last six weeks? Awesome. Have you written it in your journal? 
because you know how easily we forget. And uh, it's important to go back. And I encourage you this afternoon to go back and read some of those things and just thank the Lord again. Maybe there's some responses or answers you haven't received yet. You don't get God upset by asking a second time. God, I, I must have missed it. You know, what are you saying in this regard? Not about what color t-shirt to wear, but you know, those life questions. How many of you that you're married now and you ask God to provide a spouse for you? Anybody? How many of you didn't ask God? Well, God knew what you needed even when you didn't ask him, right? And uh, how many of you prayed about uh, what courses to take in university? Anybody? God showed you? Hey. About maybe what city to move to? How about to attend this church? Okay. You you just struggle along anyway, but you that prayed about it, that's good. I just encourage you to keep praying and keep talking with the Lord. Next Sunday, we're starting a great series on the book of Romans. And we're going to go through all 15 chapters, um, taking something out of every chapter every week. So this next week, along with your practicum homework, we'd like you to read Romans chapter 1. And as you're reading Romans chapter 1, ask the Lord to show and reveal to you something from that chapter. And uh, let's just, maybe there's something he wants you to do, pay attention to, further study. And then next week you're going to become so prepared, you could speak on Romans chapter 1. But uh, let's read it, and then next week Romans chapter 2. I mean, you can read the whole book if you want, but let's just read through Romans chapter 1. Many times if you need to, and, and just take it in pieces, segments, and say, God, is there something here you want to speak to me about? And pray that uh, as we begin, and Pastor Roger and I go through this series, that uh, pray for us as we're preparing and studying that God will help us to share exactly what is needed on that morning. It's going to be a great day. A couple of scripture verses we want to read, and then a declaration we want to make prior to our receiving our, our morning tithes and offerings, and uh, appreciate your giving. Um, so uh, let's go to... Um,